And we're back. This is the Northeast Newscast, and I'm your host, Paul Thompson. This week, we'll be joined by Central Patrol Division Major Rick Smith, formerly of East Patrol and the Kansas City No Violence Alliance. We'll start off the episode by discussing notorious Northeast rogue Tyler Sutton, who on Tuesday, April 11th, was sentenced to eight years, four months of federal prison without the possibility of parole. Smith will discuss his experiences chasing Sutton and his thoughts on the sentence. Then we'll touch on police department response time, why it's important for residents to keep calling in shots fired, how Northeast residents can get shot spotter technology into the area, his division's social worker pilot program, and what the future of that position might look like, community interaction officers, his thoughts on Kansas City No Violence Alliance, and finally, parting thoughts for outgoing chief of police, Daryl Forte. Without further ado, my conversation with Rick Smith. Thanks for listening to the Northeast Newscast. All right, I'm here with Major Rick Smith. Uh, Center Zone, I appreciate you taking the time today. Good talk um, to you, Paul. Hey, no, thank you for making the time. Uh, I guess I'll start with Tyler Sutton. It's a familiar name to you, I'm sure. But for our listeners, I'll go ahead and recap. Uh, he was at a, he had a sen- sentencing hearing yesterday. That would have been April 11th. The Correct. days all string together. But um, yeah, he, he was sentenced to eight years, four months in jail. Uh, bank fraud uh, was was the big one. And, you know, he was kind of, uh, I guess, the scourge of the Northeast. I mean, for a long time there on that house on Gladstone Boulevard, I won't say the exact address, uh, you know, he was causing a lot of trouble, a lot of uh, unsavory types coming in and out. I think uh, one of the things that the U.S. attorney put out was that during, I think it was 2013, 2014, there were 73 calls to service at that house where Tyler Sutton was living. I wanted to talk to you about it because I know you were at E-Zone at the time. First off, what was your impression of hearing about the sentencing yesterday? Great. I, I think, you know, he deserved that sentence and uh, the havoc he re- reaped on that neighborhood. I mean, he deserves to go to prison and for the things he was, you know, involved in the criminal activity. And there should be more, actually. Right. I, I know the judge said that state statutes kind of prevented him from really serving the time that he probably should have at least in the judge's opinion, I think Judge Kays, Greg Kays. Um, so that was pretty strong, and it seemed like that's kind of what the witnesses, the neighborhood witnesses who, who went and testified were, were saying too, is that, hey, he needs the maximum. I wish he could have more. Um, from your perspective, can you maybe just share a, a couple anecdotes from that time period and, and what you remember from, from that house and, and specifically with Tyler sure. Sutton and the issues that he caused? So what we have is, you know, you have basically a, you know, a middle to upper scale neighborhood mm-hmm. and you have someone move in a very expensive house, you know, that most, most people can't afford. I mean, it's a pretty top tier house, right. moves in and brings just a litany of criminal elements with him, you know, whether it be narcotics or you know, documents or whatever he was involved in, all these criminals used his place as the place to hang out. Mm -hmm. So we have a very good neighborhood, a thriving neighborhood, and then we have this one little spot where we have the center of activity and all the criminals seem to be going. Mm -hmm. And uh, the 73 calls speaks to the partnership with the neighborhood because we told them, hey, when there's an issue there, when we know something's going on, we want you calling us Mm -hmm. because when we get there, then maybe we can deal with it. So, you know, that that 73 calls didn't come by accident. It 
came because we asked for help so that we can't be there all the time. But if people see something, call us so we know what's going on and we can get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really thought this was a great partnership between um, East Patrol and the neighborhood because our officers were out there working it hard. Right. We worked that house hard. And, and I'm sure the neighbors can tell you we spent a lot of time out there. Right. Um, and, and we got great benefits from it in this particular case. And now look at, look at the house today. Mm -hmm. I mean, we ain't out there 73 times. You know, it, it's a normal house in the neighborhood. Um, and I always say, you know, it, it's good when the police can come in and take chaos and make it calm. And that's exactly what happened, right? This was a chaotic house, all kinds of things, all hours of the night, all right. kinds of junk going on, gets posted, unposted, boarded up, unboarded. I mean, all kinds of junk going on. Right. And today, it's just calm and it's back to being the neighborhood that it should be. Right. And there was a, a lot of nefarious activity. I mean, I think even during testimony yesterday, people were saying, his, his former business partner was saying, for months even afterwards, you know, the same people kept coming back and trying to break in and, and, you know, use the house for the same purposes. Of course, once he's out of there, that sorts, sorts, uh, sort of dies down as, as time goes on and you see less and less and less of it. And, and all of a sudden, you know, that, that block kind of transforms into the more idyllic suburban neighborhood that it was kind of meant to be all along. Right. right. And, and, and that's exactly what the neighbors wanted, right? In, in the long run, that's what everyone wants. It's just a calm, regular neighborhood, raise your families, and you don't have to worry about that house every day. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, and this kind of ties in, uh, I wanted to ask you briefly about that because I know that you were, you were prominently involved. Um, but it does tie into something else I wanted to ask you about. Sort of, I guess I've been d describing it as a, the anatomy of a police report or a police call. Um, in your opinion, just how important is it for the community to keep calling in issues, whether it's gunfire, um, unsavory characters casing homes on your street? Um, how important is, to, is it to keep that relationship open? It's very important. So if no one calls and we don't know about it, there's no way we can start addressing anything. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in the city that never come to the police's attention. Mm -hmm. But the strong neighborhoods that we partner with in Kansas City, we have a relationship and we ask them to call us. We want to know. We want to know if someone's lawnmower gets stolen because, hey, if Paul's lawnmower gets stolen, that may not be the biggest offense in the world, mm -hmm. but if it's connected to 30 other offenses and we put that together and go, Someone's tearing up this neighborhood. We got to do something. Right. You know that's the that's the aspect of this, it, and it's a lot with shots fired call too. It gets frustrating because we show up, we can't find anyone. Right. There's not a police report made. But if you don't call us, if if shots just keep going off and the police are never notified, that allows someone to think they can keep getting away with it. That problem is not going to go away. Right. That problem is going to increasingly get worse. So no matter what, give us the opportunity. It, it, even with response times and delays and things that may happen during peak times, all that stuff, please give us the opportunity to try and come and fix the problem. And, you know, every once in a while, we get lucky, too. We yeah. catch someone with a gun or we catch someone firing off rounds. They go to jail or they're a felon in possession and they go to prison or whatever the case may be. And mm -hmm. we get something and we can make, again, bring calm to where there was chaos and all kinds of drama going on. And I guess you can make an argument that just the act of making the call and having an officer show up is in itself kind of uh, a tool to try to, you know, sort of keep those people from at least showing up right then and there, right? Sure. Um, now, I'm glad you brought up uh, shots fired because that seems to be an issue I've been hearing a lot about uh, from social media, 
readers come in and talk to us about issues that are popping up and they'll make a call and like you said an officer comes you can't there's no connection made right then and there and they sort of assume that it's on the back burner or there isn't anything done um i guess i would ask you what does pd do with those calls and with that data once once people make the calls on a shots fired so um this issue came up last night at Pendleton Heights. Mm-hmm. We were talking at the at the meeting and talking about the park in specific and how many shots fired calls we have in there. Right. We know we have an issue. The police department knows there's an issue. Everyone knows we have an issue in that. So I encourage people to call. Mm-hmm. We know at some point, you know, most of our concerned neighbors up there are calling the police. And I said, I'm sure you're frustrated because we show up and we may not find anyone. But I said, think about if you're the person firing shots. You know you've just fired a gun within the city limits and all these people can hear all these houses are here you're probably not sticking around to see if the police come right you're probably firing your gun getting in your car and moving on right or your bicycle or whatever the case may be right. but you're probably not going to stand there for 30 minutes going i just shot my gun i wonder what's going to happen right or they're you know they're not trying to to hang around the scene and pretend like they were a witness or something like exactly. that exactly I mean, they're, they're usually either running away on foot on bicycle, on car, whatever they've got. Right, exactly. So the idea is we try and get up there. Our response times actually, in this particular case in Pendleton Heights, we were reviewing them last night at the meeting, You know, our response times are really good. We haven't caught anybody yet. Mm-hmm. But I think there's time. So when we have issues like that, we may not be able to directly affect like it's not in an area with a shot spotter where we can pinpoint the exact location, number of shots, and things like that. Right. But I think what we can do is look at other avenues. Can we look at lighting? Can we look at you know restrictions in the park? Can we look at whatever the case may be to look at something to try and deter people from coming to that location and engage in that kind of behavior? Right. I mean, the number one thing that I see in parks and in general blocks with Tyler Sutton, when you have so many good people that want the right thing, they tend, the bad people tend to go another direction. Right. They don't want to be hassled. They don't want to be yelled at. They don't want the attention on them. They want to do whatever they do without any kind of oversight, right? right? So the more you can fill up that park with good people, families, things planned, the less chance that we have the other element in the park. You mentioned the uh, the shot spotter technology. Yep. What do Northeast residents have to do to get that technology into the Northeast? I mean, what's the process by which that that kind of technology can be added or, or can funds can be made available in order to, to budget for that? I mean, do they need to go to City Hall and, you know, hit a particular committee meeting, go to the police board of commissioners? I mean, is there something that can be done from a sort of groundswell, grassroots level to kind of focus that kind of technology in the Northeast? Well, I, I'm sure always contacting your elected officials about your concerns, that never hurts, right? right. you got to make your, your desires known or nothing's ever going to change. Right. I, all I can speak to is our, our first segment with ShotSpotter actually didn't come through the police department. It came through the ATA, okay. who got the grant for to do... Um, the shot spotter along their bus lines. Okay. So that's how that came. The police department actually didn't get the grant. Right. So we didn't we, we we didn't we didn't have anything to do with that aspect of it. A whole nother entity took care of that. Okay. So it it kinda weird how we got it out there, <laughs> but that's the way it is. I I would suggest, you know, if people think that's that's important, again go to the elected officials and say, Hey, we think this is an important aspect. Right. Now I'm sure there are uh, individuals within P D that are kind of constantly working on on grant opportunities what's your impression of how those efforts are going and it, i mean is there am i wrong in assuming that there's somebody who's 
job it is essentially to, to chase grants at the PD level? Well, we have a research and development okay. division that does some of that work and looks at some of that stuff. I mean, there's some really good things with grants. Grants also come with specifics. Mm-hmm. You have to do this and that. Sometimes you require man hours. Sometimes you require people out of the field. It just depends on what the grant is and whether it fits what the police department wants to do or what's best for the neighborhood. Okay. But, you know, grants can be open to everybody, not just to the PD, right? You know, I, I don't know if a neighborhood group is structured as such. you got to have certain specifications. But right. other, other, there's other means to getting grants than just through the police department. Department. Right. Okay. Yeah, well, good point. And actually, speaking of grants, um, one of the, the kind of grant opportunities that was right here in, in your division was bringing in a social worker, Gina English. I've had a chance to follow her. Uh, you, you turned me on to that story originally. Uh, we I did a story about it right when she was getting started, and then I followed up about a month ago and, and really saw everything that she was doing to change hearts and minds in this community. How successful, in your opinion, has that grant been, and and what can be done to keep that going? Well, I think it's been very successful. So the thing, like, I... I keep emphasizing the thing Gina can do is she can walk in a situation and no one has a barrier up like they do mm-hmm. with an officer in uniform. Right. Male, female, doesn't matter. The, the, the difference is Gina can walk in and say, hey, I'm Gina English. I work for the police department, but I'm a social worker. And man, it all, I mean, people just open up and everything. So her ability to get things done is awesome. And, and plus her level of engagement and her resource list and contacts through years of being social through social work is just enormous. So, I mean, she's very good at what she does. Um, I think there's a lot of, like, for instance, let me just real quickly say, you know, right now, last week she was on the plaza working on that issue. Mm -hmm. You know, we have follow-ups from people we contacted on the plaza. She will follow up with parents and stuff. So things like that that probably didn't get done through the police department are really getting done now through Gina, which I think is a, I hope will be a benefit for all of us. Um, Yes, it, I think we've had a lot of positive feedback from elected officials about Gina's positions. Mm-hmm. I've talked to several city councilmen, um, the mayor, some other people. Um, of course, funding's always an issue. Where do you find the funding? Right. But the goal is, you know, this is a pilot program with Gina, and the goal is to find permanent funding. Now, if Rick Smith were king for a day, I think there probably should be a social service advocate at every division station. Right. It's obviously, this is working well. And it's it's kind of like a community and an action officer, but at a different level, right? It's more of a quality of life, follow through, get people the help they need. More of an issue rather than just interacting with the community, but actually kind of getting engaged right. with on certain topics. Hmm. So I really like that connection with the CIO kind of philosophy with a police officer and Gina being the social worker, I think that'd be a strong team. And I'd like to see it expanded across the city. Well, interesting that you brought up the CIO. And I, we haven't really talked about this, but I guess I'll, I'll follow up with sure. you. Uh, do, do you intend to kind of keep that CIO around or, or do you have any new plans for what to do with the CIO officer moving forward? So um, under Chief Forte, you know, we moved the CIO, CIO officer. Andy was our, Andy Hamill was mm-hmm. our CIO officer and he moved to the impact squad but I still maintain him being the center point of contact for center zone so all the contacts that he had built I didn't want that to to go through someone else or start new people a lot of people had good relationships with Andy and they wanted to maintain those relationships so even though he kept he moved job responsibilities he kept that responsibility of being the center point of contact now sometimes we farm out some of what he does because he can't do everything like he used to right 
And so we've kind of expanded that a little bit. Um, but I still see it as working pretty well. The feedback I've gotten from the neighborhood groups here in Center Zone has been good. Okay, good. Well, um, you know, I had a chance to talk to the, the mayor following his State of the City address a couple weeks back, and I asked him specifically about his anti-violence panel, uh, the Blue Ribbon Commission, so to speak, and I think they were, they're expected to be putting out some recommendations within the next week or so. Yes. Um, I asked him specifically about Gina and the program that you guys have going on here. He seemed to intimate that that will be addressed during uh, their announcement or their recommendations. Have you heard anything specific regarding that or, or, or how that, that program may be continued? I have not. I have not heard anything specific. Okay. So, so maybe I'm a, I'm a heady on that one, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I will say, let's face it, I think some of the, you know, common sense recommendations are going to fit what Gina's doing already. Right. You know, whether that the report came first or Gina came first, I, I, but I think they're on the same, right, they're paralleling each other. They're both headed down the same path. Right. So whether it becomes with the report or whatever, but I think the idea is that there needs to be more engagement at a different level. Mm-hmm. Rather, you know, the policemen are the five-minute fix. We go to the door, we knock on it. Hey, what's the problem here? What can we do? But right. sometimes it needs a little bit more than that. And cops are really good at picking that out. As Gina says, I have the best first responders in the entire city going out there seeing what, what the issues are. They know what to bring back to me. We're good at triage and things. We're good at helping Gina prioritize and, hey, this is really going to be a problem unless you get involved. So I think we're really good at that. So I think there's a lot of potential across the city to open that up. Well said. Um, Now, you're talking about engagement, some of the things that can be done. I know you spent time heading Kansas City Nova, which is the No Violence Alliance. Um, I wanted to ask you about that program and and what you think about it. Um, I won't ask you to go too far into the weeds, but I guess generally speaking, what is your impression of the success of the program thus far, and what do you think can be done to fix it moving forward, or I guess improve it moving forward? Well, I'm a big proponent of focused deterrence. I mean, if you look, I have my master's in criminal justice, so I did a lot of these studying these different criminal theories, right? But mm-hmm. you look at focused deterrence model, which is you're applying your resources onto those people you know are committing crime or, you know, reducing the quality of life in a neighborhood or whatever it is, you're focusing on that element and pretty much the rest of some other things may be going by a little bit because you're focused on the bad people. Right. Um, I, I'm a big proponent on that. Put your resources where you're going to get some bang for your buck. Right. You know, it's the same thing as dress, addressing a, a pattern criminal here at, at Center Zone. We have a weekly meeting at 2 o'clock. We talk about patterns that are unfolding, Paul's getting his lawnmower stolen or burglaries or whatever. Sure. The same thing, we are applying our resources on when we see that pattern to try and reduce that pattern. So Nova's doing the exact same thing. They are looking at patterns of violence and trying to focus resources to reduce that. I, I'm a big proponent of that. I like that. Um, so I think there, there's been success in reducing group-based violence uh, through Nova, which has been good. Right. No, I, I guess if I was, if I was, you know, trying to pinpoint a criticism of it from what I hear from people, you know, sure. people love to talk when you're out in the community, especially when they know you're a reporter and they want you to focus on some right. stuff. Um, this idea that well, maybe there is success on on a, a a basic level there, but the community doesn't really necessarily see the the success or doesn't really see um, Nova in action. What can be done to make the successes of NOVA a little bit more public, I suppose? I, you know, 
Is that a fair criticism? I guess maybe that's. that's I, I think it too. is. You know, Nova is going to move to where the group is, right? And the most violent groups are now. Is that northeast or is it farther out south? Is it very far south out by Ruskin? Right. You know, so the idea is it's constantly moving. It's not. Right. It's not kind of like a substation where we're going to say, "Hey, Nova exists at you know Independence of Van Brunt, and everyone can drive by and see their cars parked out front and in the, at the coffee house or whatever and that's where they're headquartered it's right. not going to be like that right. because it's always kind of in a constant state of flux of where where the problems are or right. who the problem people are but because I, it's not you know it's hard out right? there invisible like that sure. people can it's sort of out of sight out of mind i think for a lot of members of the community even though they do a lot of uh you know they do a lot of public stuff i know they did like toy giveaways and things like that during the holidays sure. they do job fairs in some ways, they are they are out there, but I think when people see, you know, maybe once a year where they make a big sweep and have a big arrest that that draw a, a press conference or some media coverage, uh, maybe a lot of what they do kind of goes unseen. Yes, I, I would say that a lot of it's investigative and mm-hmm. and putting cases together and things like that. That even they're happening right now, Paul, around us in Center Zone. You don't know that either, right? I, so I, I don't know that the criticism of just Nova being that is fair because you know I have burglary cases. There's robbery cases we're working right now. We also don't disclose any of those to the public either. Sure. Other than maybe hey, we have an investigation and we know this is what's going on. Right. If we have someone of interest, we might put it on the news. That sort. Of thing right so uh, yes you're probably not going to see that kind of uh, public sort of exposure yeah for nova right so i could see that being a criticism although you know in another way i guess you could argue that's kind of the nature of high level police work you know you, you can't just tell the public everything because this stuff is ongoing and right it needs to there needs to be a level of secrecy i think to to be effective in some ways right i i think you know one of the things that when when i went to nova is to bring jason cooley along who was a cio and experienced community interaction officer to to nova that was kind of helping to bridge that gap right. you know to try and keep the community engaged with what was going on with nova right so i you know i guess it's up to the community to determine if that's working or not but that was the goal in the, in the when that move was made. Right. That there are actionable steps that are being taken right. that just necessarily aren't, aren't going to be on the front page of the newspaper or, or the lead of, of you know, your, your local nightly news. Right. And, and Jason was, you know, to try and keep those contacts with the community groups and neighborhoods where the affected groups were working. Okay. Well, hey, I appreciate you being willing to talk about that. Pretty well towards the end here. I did want to ask you, obviously, uh, it's been in the news a lot recently, um, Chief Forte opting to retire, step down sometime in mid-May. Um, I guess I just want to leave with this note. Uh, I'd like to ask you what will be, how will you remember Chief Forte and his tenure as Chief of Police? Well, I think, you know, you you can't read or think about Chief Forte and not think about his his commitment to the community and his engagement level with the community. I mean, he he is by far the chief that I will remember as being out there, standing on the corner, you know, walking down the street, uh, being at the crime scenes, you know, just being very engaged with the public in in the public setting, in the community setting. I'm I'm not putting other chiefs down, but most of those were very structured, you know, kind of office visits or go to this or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Chief Forte was really out there in the community at many different events and things like that, and I think he will go down as being remembered as that as being out with the public constantly 
Excellent. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time today. I'm sure all readers will appreciate hearing from you, and um, I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks, Paul. Hey, thanks for your time. And that'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Central Patrol Division Major Rick Smith for joining. Have an idea for a future podcast guest? Email us at northeastnews at socket.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the podcast.